perhaps you're here today and there's an area of your life that God has not done what you've been asking. You've been praying for a long time and it is yet to come about. Maybe there's a little bit of weakness, struggle in your faith, trusting, wondering if it's ever going to come about. Maybe you've prayed for months or years. There's that area that you just want to see greater breakthrough. And you can really relate to some of the things that this song talks about. I'm going to ask you just to slip out of your seat. Come to the front just for a moment. This won't take long. But if you would say there's an area that, that I have prayed about, that I have wrestled with, that I have really persevered but it's getting harder and uh, I really want to see God just uh, do a, a new work in me elevate my faith I need to cling more dearly to him or his word or any of that relate to you just come and I want to pray over you because I believe there's something special about just saying God I can relate I'm struggling I know in my mind that you're faithful but in my emotions, it's been hard. And, I, and, and it'd be easy to give up, to be weary and well-doing. And so, Father, I pray for these now. Whatever's on their heart, you know it. You know the area. It could be a wayward child. It could be a health issue. It could be a relationship conflict. It could be a marital struggle. It could be a sin area. It could be an addiction. It could be that area that just don't seem to get victory. Father, you know the heart of every person right now that's come forward. I'm so grateful that you do. So loving, so knowledgeable, you're so caring, you're so faithful. So Father, I just pray right now for a special impartation of your love, of faith, I pray for a higher level of faith. Faith is a gift. God, you have to give the gift of faith. We can't muster it up. And so I pray that you would bestow faith, bestow trust, bestow a persevering spirit, bestow scripture in their heart and mind that they can claim. Bring scripture to their mind right now, God. Your promises, your attributes, your character. We cling to your character, God. Despite our feelings, despite the circumstances. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Though his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's, he claimed the promises, it says about Abraham. He did not grow weak in faith. He did not give up, but he held to the promises of God. Father, encourage these, your people. Pour into them your love, your grace, your truth your strength. God, just pour it into them right now. Receive. Receive from the Lord right now. Receive from Him. 
pour out your heart. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you for your word, God. Where would we be without the assurance from your word of who you are and how we're to live? We do trust you. We do trust you. Now, Lord, we give in this offering to you. Bring our tithes and offerings before you. thank you that you're faithful to provide financially for us we put you first we bring the first fruits to you now Lord and we pray for our precious children that you would deeply work in their hearts today a new work as they go to children's church God thank you now for your word anoint it as we have it proclaimed may may your word go forth today right now in spirit and in truth God, we don't want to just hear another good message. We want to encounter you. So we pray an anointing over your word that it would apply to our lives, that we would grow more in love with you and be able today, because of what we hear, to love others more like Jesus in his precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The offering's going to be received. Children ages three years through fifth grade that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed at this time. Take out your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. You might say, well, wait a minute. We've been in John 9 and we've been in John 10 the last few weeks. Why are we going back to John 8? Well, when you ask others to preach in your absence, I was two weeks in Africa. Last week I was on vacation and I appreciate those who filled in. Uh, and so I gave them chapters that they could preach from, but uh, one area that I want to go back to is something that wasn't covered in John chapter 8, and that is the story of the woman caught in adultery. It is a tremendous passage. It's a tremendous encounter in the life and ministry of Jesus that I believe manifests two of the greatest uh, principles in all of God's Word that help all of us in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others, and that is truth and grace. By the way, Jesse, it's a little loud up here to me. It might be the monitors. Truth and grace is at the center, much better, thank you, at the center of God's character, and it's at the center of how we relate to others in an effective way. Throughout the entire life and ministry of Jesus, you see this combination of truth and grace. And this has actually been one of the most helpful things to me in my marriage, in my parenting, in my leadership, and in really all of life. This principle of truth and grace can apply to every human interaction. If you go too much on the true side, you will bruise people. If you go true, too much on the grace side, you can compromise the truth of God's Word. We live in a culture, do we not, that does not know how to balance these two. Our culture wants grace, 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 no truth. Or it seems like there's groups that will be all about truth and no grace, and they bruise people. We need truth and grace. 
And if you apply truth and grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will see an anointing of God. Jesus modeled this over and over and over. Sometimes he was about 80% truth and 20% grace. Sometimes it was 60-40. Sometimes it was 80-20. Sometimes it was 60-40. Jesus had this amazing ability in the power of the Holy Spirit to know just when to apply truth and grace. And we're going to discover today the secret, two secrets, I believe, to knowing how to apply one more than the other if, if it need be or if it's always a 50-50. John chapter 8, we see this model. Let's stand together. Sorry to make you stand and sit and stand and sit, but, you know, I was raised Lutheran, and so they do that a lot. So maybe it's my Lutheran heritage coming back or something. My dad would love this if he were here today. Because Lutherans love to stand and sit, stand and sit. John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now just a little reminder here not to, not to get, have a sex lesson or anything, but when someone's caught in adultery, there's usually two people involved, right? Yeah. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them. So while he's writing in the ground, they're continuing to ask him. Like, come on, Jesus. What are you going to do? He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here's the central message today. Jesus is full of grace and truth and always knows how to perfectly apply it to every situation. In John chapter 1, verse 17, we saw earlier in our study of this gospel, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. If you want to know about grace and truth, just look to Jesus. If you want to know how to apply grace and truth, just look to Jesus. If you want to know when it's more truth than grace, just look to Jesus. If you want to know when it's more grace than truth, just look to Jesus. He is the embodiment of grace and truth. Now here's the situation. Jesus is teaching, which was common in his ministry. They bring a woman to him who is caught in the very act of adultery. They ask him, what do we do? He writes in the sand. I talked about this a little bit about a year ago, if you remember. What did he write in the sand? 
All kinds of discussions, theological debate, books have been written. What did he write in the sand? Mark, what did he write in the sand? Do you have any idea? Okay. Well, I don't either, but I'm going to just throw out a few things. One of those rooms I'm going to go in in heaven, the writing in the sand room, we'll find out one day. But some say that he wrote the names of men in the crowd who had been with her previously. Some, yeah, some say he wrote the sins of the people standing around about to stone her. Thus, those who were older left quicker because he had written more of their sins down because they had had longer to sin. Bottom line, we don't know. He actually did it twice. He gives an answer, then he writes in the sand again. Now, one of the interesting things about this passage is that Deuteronomy 22.22, the law that they're referring to, by the way, about stoning her, makes it very clear that if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man and... Both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. So maybe the test was, did he know this down to the T? I don't know if that was the test, but clearly they brought one party involved, but not the other. So they were going to misapply truth to this situation. You ever seen somebody misapply truth? They'll take a little of Scripture I'm sure you've never seen this. They'll take a little of the Bible and try to apply it, but leave out the rest? Well, that's exactly what they were doing. They were taking a little of this passage, but not the whole passage. Jesus writing in the sand. Now, here's what I think. My theory on this. You remember we learned in John chapter 5, Jesus said, I do nothing of my own initiative. John chapter 5, verse 30. By myself I can do nothing. I judge. Okay, he's asked to judge this situation, right? Jesus is being asked to bring a judgment on this situation. So he says, I judge only as I what? Say that word out loud. Hear. Oh, I love the indwelling Holy Spirit, don't you? When you receive Christ, you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a speaking aspect of God. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, wants to lead you, wants to guide you, wants to empower you. Jesus says here, I only judge as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek to please not myself but him who sent me. I believe that when he wrote in the sand, he was seeking to listen to his Father. Father, what would you have me do here? Holy Spirit, would you whisper in my ear how to handle this situation? Fully divine, fully human, fully God, fully man. Kind of like Solomon when the two women came and said, we're the mother of this child. And Solomon didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to judge that situation. And I believe the Holy Spirit spoke into his mind and heart, cut the baby in half. He said, cut the baby in half. And the real mom said, no, don't cut the baby in half. Give it to her. The other woman was willing to cut the baby in half. He knew immediately the woman that was wanting to save the life, even if she lost the baby, was the real mother. Give it to her. 
We're going to be in situations every day, every week, every month, every year of our lives that require us to hear from God. And if you have God in your life, if you've received Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a speaking God. And the Holy Spirit can whisper and show you and lead you and guide you and give you direction in what to do. That's good news, isn't it? That is good news. So I believe that Jesus, when he wrote on the sand, he was listening to his Father. He was seeking direction from the Spirit. And God gave it to him. Twice. Showed him what to do. So glad that that same Spirit lives in us if you're a believer today. I saw this a lot in my trip to Africa. It made me hungry to experience it more here, that being led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. I didn't plan to do what I did earlier in this service. Okay, I felt the leading of the Holy Spirit to call people up who might be struggling trusting God for something. That's an example. Yesterday, we've been on vacation all week. Yesterday, we're about to leave. The entire van is packed up. Dee Dee can't find her phone. Now, y'all know today that if you lose your phone, it's like losing your right arm. And you feel like your whole life is, you know, practically half gone. We looked everywhere. I'm calling it, listening, listening in the van, calling it, you know, the buzz or the ring or whatever. And so we prayed, Lord, please help us find this phone. And we opened a container and there it was. So it's really good to go to God when you have a need. I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, we, we, we know the God who knows everything. <laughs> he knows everything. He knows where a phone is. He, he, he knows what, what, what will be needed to solve a certain situation. And so what Jesus does here is amazing. He, he perfectly applies grace and truth. And grace and truth is so central to the Bible. It's so central to God's nature. We see his truth in his word. We see his truth in the Ten Commandments. We see his truth and bring judgment upon sinful nations like Sodom and Gomorrah and others. We see his truth saying what is moral and what is immoral, what is righteous and what is unrighteous. Culture doesn't determine righteousness. The Supreme Court doesn't determine what is righteous. Our laws of the land do not ultimately determine what is righteous. What determines that is the truth of God's Word. We also see His grace, His love, His mercy, His compassion, His forgiveness. Or his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness to Israel, despite their unfaithfulness, we see his mercy over and over in his word and throughout history. I learned a little more God's constant grace and love this week. There was a day that everybody had gone to the beach, and I volunteered to be in charge of our one-year-old grandson, Carter. And so I've got the monitor there, you know, listening, and he's downstairs in a room, and, and uh, he was taking a really long nap, a little longer than usual, and so I figured I better go check on Carter, make sure he's okay. And so I go in the room where, where Carter was sleeping, and he's not on the bed, he's not on the floor, 
he's not in the bathroom? And I am dead serious. I was this close to a panic attack. I am freaking out. I'm thinking, the one time he's under my watch, the kid goes missing. And then I see my daughter's diaper bag right by the closet door. You open this door, and then there's the closet. She had her diaper bag right Baby's closet. So I open the door. Sure enough, there's the little, what do you call it, bassinet, or I don't know what you call it thing. He's in there. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, she put him in there because that was where it was dark. Be nice if you told granddad these kind of details, you know. <laughs> and so he's in there. And it, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, you're never away from my sight. I always know where you are. That's grace. That's grace. That's our God. That's our God, beloved. The Bible says in Isaiah 49, verse 15, my wife says she's not really sure she agrees with this verse. <laughs> it says, though a mother might forget her child, I will never forget you. That's our God. So how do we see grace and truth here? Well, we see grace in Jesus' statement, neither do I condemn you. Imagine what this must have been like for this woman who was about to face execution. The accusers have stones in their hands. It'd be like somebody being this close to lethal injection for something they did. And at the last moment, it's 11.59 p.m. And the governor calls and says, don't take their life. I have freed them. They're not only not going to receive lethal injection, they're getting out of jail, baby. They're free. It's forgiven. The debt has been paid. But he also comes with truth. It's not greasy grace. It's not cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about. It's not grace that says, you can do whatever you want because it's forgiven. Just live how you want. It's all okay, as long as you love each other. No. He said, go and sin no more. He called sin, sin. He didn't say, well, you know, it's okay, and I understand because your husband's not been treating you real well, and this other guy is, so it's okay. And I know that some people have to make a living somehow, so, I mean, we don't know if she was a prostitute or not. My belt's coming loose. Sorry. But, and he didn't say it's okay as long as, you know, it's consensual. I know that none of this is said today in our culture, is it? These kind of rationales. But you know, that's what, that's what will happen when you leave this standard. When you, when you fail to look to this as the standard, and you disregard this as the word of the Lord, which it is, then all of a sudden, you're left to your own human reasoning. And that's exactly what's happened today in our world. And beloved, it's not just here. I just got back from Uganda. And the pastor there says there is a, there is a teaching that is coming into Uganda 
and it's affecting teenagers. It's some guy, I don't even know his name, but he's teaching this, this thing about, hey, you're forgiven, and you can just have premarital sex, and it's okay to be gay, and it's okay this and that and the other, because it's, you know, it's just forgiven, and God will love you still, and it's all, it's all under grace. And so they're having to counter false teachings over there, just like we do today. But I'm telling you, this is the perfect balance. Grace, you're not going to be stoned. I release you from your accusers. I release you from the judgment of your sin. I love you right where you're at. You don't have to change or get your act together for me to love you. It's my love that will move you to repent. Remember, the kindness of the Lord leads you to repentance. That is grace. That is mercy. That is the love of Jesus. No judgment, no condemnation put on her. And I believe one of the reasons is because she said in verse 11, no one, Lord, he saw a repentant heart. He saw a remorseful heart. No one, Lord, is he your Lord? Or is he just your Savior? If you claim that he's your Savior, but he's not your Lord, you need to reevaluate whether he really is your Savior. Because you, when you receive Jesus, you receive a person, and that is the person who is Savior and Lord. Now, I understand progressive sanctification. That's why we are working really hard here to have a transformational discipleship ministry starting this fall. We want to see people grow from a child to a young man to a father. So I understand. My doctoral dissertation was on that very passage in 1 John 2. I understand progressive sanctification, that we are increasingly becoming like Jesus. And I don't agree with the statement, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Because who can say he's Lord of all? We are all growing in Jesus becoming more Lord of our lives. But if there's not a, an initial surrender, yielding, repentance, then I don't believe there's true salvation. He gives her truth. He says, go and sin no more. Yes, what you did is sin. It's immoral. It's not right in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what you feel. Jesus doesn't call it a mistake or a disease or a product of your hormones. He called her adultery sin. Grace and truth are like two wings of a bird. Both needed to fly effectively. So let me tell you, this is the divine prescription for life change. It's so crucial in your relationship with God to understand both truth and grace. The way I've illustrated this, I like Oreo cookies. And so the outer part represents grace and love. The inner part represents truth. And I love how God always comes to us first just saying, I, I love you just the way you are. I, I, unconditional love. That's what initially comes. Then he speaks the truth. And if we repent of the sin in our life, then he comes with mercy, grace, and forgiveness. A beautiful combination. He comes to the woman. He shows care to this woman. He gives time to this woman. He sees her sin. He says, go and sin no more. He says, neither do I condemn you. That's truth and grace, my friend. And this applies to so much. 
If you're going to keep your relationship with God balanced and in a proper biblical perspective, you need to make sure that as you're going through God's Word and as you're relating to God and as you're walking with the Lord, you receive both His truth and His grace. If it's all about truth, you're going to feel beat up and shamed and condemned, and the enemy will come all over that. The enemy will really harp on that. But if it's all about grace, then it can be cheap grace that doesn't result in life change. Remember the Bible says, truth will set you free. (laughs) Truth exposes in order to bring about repentance so that there's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And so it's just this beautiful combination. Jesus applied it, and we need to as well. Ephesians 4.15 speaks about this. Instead, speaking the truth in love. See that? Grace and truth. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Now the context of this is relational interaction. So it's speaking the truth in love to each other, but it's interesting that then it goes vertical. So it's horizontal and it's vertical. It helps us horizontally in our human interactions and relationships, but it also helps us vertically. Here's how you grow up into him who is the head. is by having truth and grace applied to your life. Here's how it would look in a marriage. Honey, I love you, and I am absolutely committed to our marriage. What you said to me yesterday really hurt, and I need to just share that with you, that that really hurt my feelings. How can we work this through? Hopefully there's repentance, and then there's forgiveness and healing. Parenting. Now, son, daughter, you know that I love you, and you're my child, and there's nothing you could ever do that would cause me to not love you and be committed to you as your father. But the way you treated your sister yesterday is absolutely unacceptable. And there will be some punishment for that. There will be some consequences. Just know that I stand with you, and I'm going to help you through this. And you're going to grow through this, and you're going to become a better person because of this learning experience. You're managing somebody at work, and you need to address some behavior on their end. Hey, Bill, or John, or whatever. Man, I really value you as an employee here. And uh, you've been here for three years. You've done a you know, really good job. But recently I've noticed that the way you interact with some of our customers, a little short and abrasive and rude. How can we work on that so that you get better and become an even more effective employee here? See the beautiful balance there? See how this works itself out? In discipleship and in helping people grow, you meet with them and you're committed to them and you pray for them. And as you get into material and you see things in their life that might not be pleasing, then you, because you have the relational foundation, you've earned the right, you see, to speak into their life and express concern. You know, we were together as a discipleship group and we had our wives there. And brother, I kind of noticed that you you really kind of spoke unkindly to your wife, and it just, you were a little abrasive, and I saw her, her spirit just kind of sink when you said that, and you pull them aside, you do this one-on-one, and uh, I just want to lovingly kind of bring that to your attention. I'm not saying I'm better, and dude, I've done it many times myself, trust me. I can probably see it because I've done it so much myself, but um, I want to pray, how can we pray for that to maybe see some improvement? And that person receives it under the power of the Holy Spirit goes back and confesses that to their spouse and asks forgiveness. 
how cool if we could be this kind of church. Hello? Hello? That we're not just a church that comes in and, you know, we do our Sunday thing. Hey, how you doing? Great, 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 great. And you're horrible, you know, and you're doing terrible and you're struggling. But you say, great, 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 you know, and you put on the church face. How about if we be a church that really interacts with one another with with truth and grace? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be transformational? So glad that God is this way with us. How about evangelism? You know, you develop a relationship with somebody, you begin to interact with them, you show love and care for them right where they're at. You know, you don't come down with so much truth that you are abrasive and turn them off. And, and you, you're, you're, you're turning, you know, man, I mean, I remember street, I remember the preachers that used to come to UGA when I was a student in 1979. Yes, I'm old. Yes, I'm old. I was at UGA in 1979. And uh, this guy named Jed Smock used to come. Jed Smock, man, he'd see a sorority girl. You whore! I mean, he did. That's what he did. He called all the sorority girls whores. It's like, yeah, that's real effective. You know, that's, that's really going to go a long ways in winning people to Christ. Um, and so I think with evangelism, you, you demonstrate love and, and you meet people where they're at. And you have compassion. You weep for the lost. You realize that they're only living that way because they don't have Christ in their life. We can't expect non-believers to act like believers. Hello? And so we have compassion, but then we come with truth. We give the truth of the gospel. We give the truth about sin. We give the truth about morality. And yes, that's going to hurt, and some people aren't going to receive it. We understand that. Then we come with the gospel of Jesus, the forgiveness that's offered, the healing that's offered, the blood of Jesus that can remove all sin. And so it works with every area of human interaction, every area of just ministry and life. All right, so what determines how much truth and how much grace in each situation? When, when, you know, you look at Jesus and, for example, the Pharisees, pretty heavy on truth side, right? You brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. You know, you, you speak all this stuff and you look so good on the outside but inside, you're full of dead man's bones. That's what he said. Now, he saw into the heart of every person, saw the motives, not just the actions. So with the Pharisees, where there was a hard heart, where there was a lot of self-righteousness, judgment on others, he was heavier on truth. But with the repentant sinners, the woman who anoints him with oil, who had had an immoral lifestyle, and all the Pharisees are going, if he only knew who that was, he would never let him, her anoint him with oil. And he said, he who's forgiven much loves much. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Therefore, she loves much pouring out her heart. She's pouring out worship. And so with a repentant sinner, with a prodigal son, here's a great one, the older brother, self-righteous, thought he deserved more from the father, 
judged his younger brother, didn't want to give grace to his repentant younger brother. More truth from the father. But the younger brother who had acknowledged his sin and lived in filth and came back, father ran to meet him, bestow grace and forgiveness and say, let's party, the son of mine is returned. So here's the two keys, I believe, to applying truth and grace. And when to know, because we're going to be in situations all the time, we know we need both, but is it always 50-50 or is it sometimes 60-40? 40-60. My personal opinion, two keys, and I think they're manifested in this passage. The leading of the Holy Spirit and the heart of the person. The leading of the Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. The Holy Spirit has to lead and guide and show us what to apply and how to apply it. And that's what he did, I believe, when he wrote in the sand. He's, he's, he's waiting on the Holy Spirit. He's, he's, he's listening to the Father to show him what to do and how to respond. And then I think it's the heart of the person. My brother was telling me on vacation about a man in his church who had an affair just the pain and the difficulties of that but he said david i don't know if i've ever seen a guy more repentant i mean so repentant willing to go to whatever length it took to repent and he said his wife forgave him and they've got they've been married now 12 years more and they're doing great See, that was a lot of grace got applied because his repentant heart, see? But you take a person, and some of the guys in our Fresh Wind ministry know just what this is like. You take a guy who's an alcoholic, using drugs, sexually immoral, blah, 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 or a gal, and there's just no repentance. There's, they're denying it. They're making excuses. They're blaming everybody but themselves. They're hard-hearted. Then what do you do? Because you love them and care about them, you have a family intervention. A family intervention is where about five to ten people who are affected by that person's sin all are at the house when they arrive and they don't know they're going to be there. They walk in and there's like all these family members and friends and stuff and they're like, um, what's going on? Sit down, buddy. Sit down, gal. We love you so much, we're not willing for you to continue in this lifestyle. You're ruining yourself, you're ruining your children, you're ruining your marriage, you have lost this job, your finances are in the pits, and we love you enough to say, it's got to stop. Boom. The daughter says, yeah, Dad, when you do this, it really hurts me. And then the wife says, Honey, I'm done cleaning up your vomit. I'm done. Next time you come home and vomit, you're going you're gonna to wake up in it. And this friend says, dude, got to get help. There's this program called Fresh Wind at Living Hope Church. You got to get in that. And you know what? We're not leaving here today until you make a commitment that you're going to deal with this. Speak the truth in love. You love them enough to speak the truth. And then, 
come back and you say, we're going to stand with you, dude. We're going to be praying for you. We're going to love you. Matter of fact, I'm willing to put $100 into you going to that program. See how incredible this is? You see how practical this is? Do you see how much this is the heart of God? What Jesus modeled for us in that encounter with the woman has tremendous application for you and me. And I have said repeatedly from this pulpit that if you ever want to know if a teaching or a doctrine is of the Lord and is biblical, where do you take that doctrine or teaching? Thank you. This is the measuring rod. (laughs) This is the plumb line. This is where you determine if a teaching is biblical and consistent with the whole of Scripture. Not just this passage and this passage, but Genesis to Revelation. So let's put it through the gospel test. (laughs) Let's put it through the cross test. Oh, beloved, right here where truth and grace is seen the clearest. The truth of God that says God is the one true God. The truth of God that says he is holy and holiness is required to have a relationship with him. The truth of God that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth of God that says the wages of sin is death. The truth of God where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The truth of God that says there is a heaven and there is a hell. The truth of God that says if your sins are not forgiven, you will spend eternity separated from God. Is that uncomfortable? Yes. Does that make you feel weird, baby? But it's the truth of God. And we do not compromise the truth of God. But the grace of God, (laughs) the grace of God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Grace of God says, you know that that judgment that your sin deserved? Guess what? Put on my son Jesus. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The grace of God that says, if you repent, if you receive Jesus, he'll come in, he'll forgive you, he will heal you, he'll indwell you with his Holy Spirit, he will change you from the inside out. That is his grace. The grace of God flows through the cross of Jesus Christ. Grace and truth, perfectly seen at the cross of Jesus Christ. Three quick points. These are errors that people can fall into because we need to walk the lane of truth and grace. First point is this, and then we're done after these three. Truth without grace often results in legalism. It often results in a rules approach to God, a a legalistic approach to God, thinking that if I just live up to these standards and these do's and don'ts, then I'll get in or then I'll be accepted and in Luke eleven forty six, this is what Jesus addressed with the Pharisees. And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. You yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Two, grace without truth often results in licentiousness. 
In other words, license to sin. It's called cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined that term. Thinking that I can just sin and do whatever I want because I'm going to be forgiven anyway. That's spoken of in Jude chapter 4, so you realize this is not a new doctrinal error. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. This is also what Paul addressed in Romans 6. When he says, shall we sin that grace may increase? May it never be. You see, true grace and true truth leads to holy living. And so number three, grace with truth results in life change. Truth includes grace. True truth includes grace. And true grace always includes truth. So really, you can't divorce these two. You can't divorce, ultimately, you can't divorce truth and grace. We try to. But it's a misapplication of what we call truth, and it's a misapplication of what we would call grace, but it's really not true grace. See, true truth will lead to grace. It'll expose sin that we might repent and be forgiven. True grace always leads to living by the truth, and that's spoken of in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Look at this. What does grace do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, look at this, eager to do what is good. So true grace leads to wanting to say no to ungodliness and eager to do what is good, not to abuse it. And the book that I highly recommend on this topic, Randy Alcorn's The Grace and Truth Paradox, he says this, what would Jesus do? There's always one answer. He would act in grace and truth. Truth without grace breeds self-righteous legalism that poisons the church and pushes the world away from Christ. Grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. We must offer both. Amen? So why don't we take maybe two questions and then we'll land this plane. Worship team can come on up. Sure you have some questions because this is such a practical area. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I have one. In that particular passage, there is no evidence of repentance. The woman just says, no one, Lord. Uh, Jennifer and I were talking about this the other day. Is that an example that God will forgive without repentance because there was no condemnation? I believe there is repentance in the fact that she said, Lord. Now, again, they, you might say I'm stretching that, but she said, no one, Lord. 
So the fact that she called him Lord, I think, shows repentance. And I think furthermore, we know by all of Scripture that repentance and confession is required for forgiveness. And so I think we can then safely assume that he saw her heart. He saw a repentant heart. And even though it may not be real clear from the passage, I think we can, we can biblically assume that because God is always consistent with his nature and his word. And so I would say two things. I believe he saw her heart and that there was repentance. And her using the word Lord could certainly indicate that as well. Great question. Right here. Isn't God's word awesome, you guys? Do you think do you think that the the man wasn't mentioned because at that time women were held to a higher standard? Say it one more time, sorry. Do you think the reason why the man is not mentioned is because at that time women were held to a higher standard? You know, there are two parties in that adultery. Right. And I've always wondered why the man wasn't mentioned. Do you think it's because women were held at a higher standard? I don't know that there's evidence they were held to a higher standard, but there's certainly evidence that in that culture women were demeaned. They were viewed as less, which is an amazing thing if you study the Gospels and how Jesus always elevated women. Women witnessed the resurrection. He had women in the, in the, in the group that followed him. You know, I mean, he was constantly elevating women. Spoke to the woman at Samaria, which was completely culturally unacceptable. So I don't know that they were held to a higher standard. It may appear that way because, you know, they were certainly viewed as less um, than men. Jesus doesn't view women as less than men. Hello. Do you understand that? If anybody accuses Christianity of, of demeaning women, they have not read the true Bible. <laughs> because it is constantly elevating women. Now, there's difference in roles, but that doesn't mean difference in values. Okay. Maybe one more. Great question. Anybody else? Yes. Hold on, hold on. you got to have a microphone. You're the worship pastor. You need to have <laughs> Here we go. If we lean in one direction or the other, to show more grace or tend to show that more. That did look weird. Didn't it? Sorry. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. Sorry. I hope nobody took a picture of that. Yeah. I hope live stream's not working. Yeah, my mom is watching. Oh, no. Um, uh, I tend to be more truth, probably, and so I pray for a greater expression of God's grace in my life. So I guess my question is, if we kind of lean towards truth or towards grace, how do we bring ourselves in that? Great question. It's actually going to lead into what I think I'm going to call for, um, and that is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually ask for those of you that want a greater impartation of truth and grace, um, to come up to the front because I want to pray over you for that. But it might involve those of you that say I'm more on the truth side and I need more grace, or you say I'm more on the grace side and I need more truth. And that has a lot to do with our wiring and our spiritual gifts. I have the gift of encouragement, so I'm more on the grace side. Somebody that has maybe more the gift of prophecy, uh, the not prophecy like First Corinthians 14 prophecy, but the prophecy where they see, you know, black, everything's very black and white, and they're very wanting to speak into those things, then 
they tend more toward truth versus grace. By the way, it's very common that God will have you marry somebody. <laughs> if you're more truth, he'll probably have you marry somebody that's more grace and vice versa. It's just amazing how that works. So don't get upset at your spouse for being that way. It's God's way of balancing you. Uh, so how to do it is a tough question. Um, I just think it's it's continually asking God to just produce more balance. And if you are more on the truth side, maybe just study more about his grace and his love. Focus more on that attribute for a while and see if that helps. Hang around people who are more the other. If you're more grace, but you tend to kind of compromise truth at times, then study more his word about truth or or, uh, hang around people who are a little more there. But especially look to people who really, to you, seek to live both. I mean, they just say, man, that person really models that. I pray that happens here at Living Hope. I really do. I pray that in my preaching. I pray that in our staff interactions. I pray that in our discipleship. I pray that in our leadership here. I pray that in our just our church as a whole. I long for us to be known as a church that is full of truth and grace. Let's pray that, guys. Let's pray that we'll be that kind of church. And if we see imbalance, let's lovingly confront each other on that. If we, if we see somebody maybe misapplying truth or being a little abrasive, can we be mature enough to say, hey, brother, remember the Oreo? <laughs> you might need a little more of that out, outer shell stuff. <laughs> or or if, the, if the, actually, I got, I've got, there's the two kinds now. There's the sin kind now. By the way, I went to racetrack and got these this morning. And as I was checking out, I said, guess what I'm going to use that for? She said, I don't know. You're going to eat it. I said, no, I'm, this is a sermon illustration. So I got to preach my sermon real quick to her at the racetrack. It was kind of cool. But these thin ones, see, they don't have a lot of the truth in there. <laughs> and so some, some of you are, some of you are thin. Whoa, it even cracked. It's so thin. And so if you're a thin Oreo, you know, get a little more truth in there. <laughs> Then there's those, I didn't get those kind. I had to go to the grocery store and I didn't have time for that, but they have those big, thick kind now. Dove, see, you know it. What's it called? Double stuffed. And so some of you are double, double stuffed Oreos. And you might need a little more of the outer cookie part. So, Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the good time we've had today. So grateful for your presence here. Lord, thank you just for who you are. Lord, we just want to pause right now and just say we worship you. We worship you as a God of truth and grace. How amazing that you would be this kind of God. Lord, this makes us want to know you better and love you more because you have that perfect combination of truth and grace. So again, it won't take long, but if you say, I just, I really would like a, supernatural impartation of truth and grace in my life if you just slip out come to the front real quick i want to pray over you and then you go back to your seat whether it's just like you know i, I think I, I am kind of living this good but i want to live it even better or you say whoa i'm way more on the truth side and i really need an impartation of grace or if you say i'm way on the grace side and i kind of need more of an impartation of truth however that applies I just invite you to come. And if anyone in our prophetic team 
feels inclined to give a word to somebody, you have my blessing to minister to these up here or someone at their seat. So, Father, we thank you, and now I do pray. Lord, just, I don't understand this thing called impartation, but I know you said in Timothy, Paul said, stir up the gift within you, Timothy, that came upon you through the laying on of hands. So I know that there's things you do, Lord, just through these kind of special prayer times, laying on of hands, just impartation times. And so I'm trusting you now to just impart in a way that only you can a baptism of truth and grace upon these who are saying with humble hearts, God, I want to live that more. I want to be more the embodiment of truth and grace. So, God, in the name and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for that special impartation. The truth of your word, the truth of your character, and the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And Father, those that need more grace, would you just flow your grace upon them today? Would they taste and see that you are good? Would they receive just grace for their own life, for their own sins, and just be washed with that grace to overflowing? And then those who need more truth, God, I pray that it be a truth that's balanced, a truth that's, that leads to repentance because of kindness, that it would not be an abrasive truth, but a loving truth, but it would be truth because you are a God of truth. So we love you, Lord. Pray that you'd have your will and way in our lives. Continue to pray, worship the Lord. Prayer team, if you'd be available along the sides as we sing a final song.